Got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. We are leaving the Sign Me Up series, and I will never ask you again to volunteer at our church. That's a lie. It's not going to happen. So uh, keep dreaming if that's where you think we're at. Uh, But uh, we are making a transition in our series. Uh, We are actually tracking with the main and east campuses. Uh, We are doing uh, every quarter, we do a series. We do a month-long series together. And so all three campuses of Lindsay Lane are doing this series called Living in Between. Living in Between. And so if you're visiting with us, man, we're so glad to have you. As Will said, man, we'd love to get your information on the Connect card. If it's your first time here, we have a gift for you as well. We have our Next Steps table, which you will hear us reference all the time in our church. Uh, If you would, before you leave, man, swing by there. We would love to give you a gift for, uh, from us, no strings attached, all right? Seriously, all right? But uh, we are really glad to have you. If you're joining us online as well, thank you so much for being here and tuning in uh, in these crazy days that we live in. But uh, the Living in Between series is a series that is focusing on, if you haven't seen our candles already, as focusing on the Advent. And I don't know about y'all, I, I, you know, I sounds... Crazy, you know, but uh, I've heard it said before, I was Baptist born, Baptist bred, and when I die, I'll be Baptist dead. Uh, I, I probably uh, feel that, uh, that, that, that leaning in my life, uh, but uh, as in growing up in a country Baptist church, um, I had never really studied Advent, right? And so I, I was, I'm curious to see how many, if there's anyone in here like me that have never been through an Advent season. T- there's other denominations that do it uh, a lot. I mean, there's some, there's some incredibly rich theology. We just didn't do it. Uh, we just didn't, I never went through that season. So is there anyone in here that would be bold enough to raise your hand and be like, yeah, this is the first time going through it, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. Awesome. Good, good, good. My, yeah, me and my wife, like the first time I'm going through it and I'm preaching it. So we'll see how this goes, right? Uh, but, uh, but I'm super excited because, man, God has, I've always known what it is. Uh, the Advent came about. We see it talked about amongst church folks in the early church in the fourth century, um, which means they were probably doing it before then. Uh, but it became a part of the life of the church. And so for those of you that don't know how the Advent season goes, we have the candle of hope. And the week that we'll be focused on this week will be hope. We have uh, peace. And some of you could say these before me. We have peace. We have joy. And for all of you OCD people, I know. I just know, okay? I feel it for the same way that I'm annoyed that this room is off-centered a little bit. It bugs me. You don't have to look at it, but I do every Sunday, and it bugs me. I think the Advent people need to get their act together, and they need to have the same color candles, all right? It is killing me, but it's Christian bookstore, not me, okay? So don't blame me. I'm just the messenger. So we got this is the candle of joy. It is out of place and needs to be replaced by the purple candle. And then there is, uh, at the end of the, the season of love as well, the candle of love. And the middle candle is the Christ candle. So this will take us through the next five weeks leading up to the Sunday after Easter where we'll be lighting the Christ candle. And so, uh, we're, what did I say? Easter. No, that's not going to, yeah, five weeks. Five weeks. Nothing supernatural is going to happen. 
Sunday after, after Christmas, right? And so uh, we'll be lighting that Christ candle. Some of you are like, well, I'm tuning out already. Like, I, I ain't a part of this. I this what, is, what is that, like a 28-week series? All right, it's longer than COVID. Uh, no, not going to happen. All right, so, uh, but we begin this week in hope. Now, biblically, the word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, all right? Uh, which the translation literally means the coming. In the Greek New Testament, we see the word parousia, which is the coming. Speaking of the coming of Christ. Now we see the coming of Christ mentioned and talked about in the New Testament some, and uh, in the Old Testament some, but we also see it in the New. And here's what's incredible when we look at the Advent season. I, I understand that not everybody has been through this, this season, but similar to how the Lord's Supper changes when we begin to see it as New Testament believers, right? Like this is what the, this is what the Seder Supper was a long time ago. This is how it's been adapted, and this is why we do it now. This is my body. This is my blood. Uh, and it has profound ramifications for us in the same way in this Advent season. When we focus on these themes, man, they have profound, make a profound difference in our life and should make a difference in our hearts as well. And so, uh, and so that's what we're going to be today, for the next five weeks. Uh, the Christmas season is all about hope. And so for our first candle, we're going to light. And like I said, hopefully uh, this candle stays lit. You know, it's not, I don't think it's bad spiritual juju or anything if we... If it goes out mid-sermon, all right, we're going to hope that stays lit. Uh, but uh, the first candle that we light for this week is the candle of hope beginning our Christmas season. And really, it introduces the entire season. The entire season is built around the coming, the coming of Jesus. The question we have to ask ourselves is, what coming are we talking about? What, what coming of Christ? What revealing of Christ? Uh, what arrival of Christ are we talking about? Uh, but the season is filled with hope. Now, hope means something different to a believer than it does probably to my children, right? One of the one most wonderful things that have happened about being in a home with reliable internet is that I don't have to watch many of the holiday commercials that we see, right? That'll bless your heart, won't it? Every, every toy, like, and I don't know what the deal is now, like all the toys are recirculating. So the toys that were really uh, in when I was a kid are now coming back, you know, and so you're like, I thought this wasn't a thing. Like Hungry Hungry Hippos, that's still a thing? You know, and so, and so my kids watch these kids on these commercials having the time of their life, and immediately when the commercial is over, they look at their mom and their dad, and they lovingly and preciously say, I want that. I want that for Christmas. And so they mark it down on their little brochures they get, the little catalogs they come. They circle. Do you remember as a kid doing that, like circling your catalog? Well, well, the commercials are my kid's catalog, and they just make sure that they're nice, big, red, circled in our minds that this is what they want for Christmas. And then they spend the rest of the time hoping that they get it. We just went to see Santa Claus at Cabela's uh, because it's a family tradition, and it's free. Amen? Amen. It's not free because we ended up buying some stuff. Almost like they intended to do that. That was the whole purpose, but we went. And uh, my kids, all three of my children, said they wanted things and asked Santa for things that I have yet to hear that that's what they wanted. They change it, right? They hope for a lot of stuff. 
But for us as believers, what does hope look like for us in this Christmas season? In the Old Testament, the word picture of of hope is that of a cord that is pulled tightly. All right, and so for the purpose of this illustration, I have a, a bungee cord, right? A small bungee cord. Uh, and, and if I begin to pull on this bungee cord, there's going to come a time where this bungee cord is absolutely going to pop. Now, you and I in here aren't feeling much anxiety with this cord. I know this isn't going to translate well across the Internet because you're not going to be able to see it, but what if I grabbed a rubber band and I began to pull and pull a little more and pull a little more? Everyone in here is feeling a little bit of anxiety. Now, you don't care because it's going to slap me or Will or my wife, not you, right? But, uh, but there's a little bit of angst. This is the idea of hope. It's the idea of a cord pulled tightly, a cord that is put under tremendous pressure until one of two things happens. Either one, it breaks, and the hope that you have placed in that thing is lost forever, or that tension is released and we receive what it is that we've hoped for, right? And so this is the idea that we have in the Old Testament. But the idea of the coming of Christ that we hope in as children of God is twofold in Scripture. Number one, number one, we see as we read the Old Testament, hope was in His coming. It was in His coming. So the Old Testament saints, this is in your notes as well, the Old Testament saint lived in between promises and fulfillment. Think about it. The Old Testament saint had the words of God. They had the prophets of God. Many of them had some of the teachings, depending later on in the Old Testament, had the teachings of Jesus, the law, the Torah. They had the word of God. What they did not have was the fulfillment of God. And so the parousia that they were looking for, the coming of Christ that they were looking for, the coming of the Messiah that they were looking for, was the first coming. They were were anxiously awaiting His coming. They had been given God's Word, but they hoped in the coming Messiah. Romans 4 tells us that Abraham, though he had not seen the fulfillment of God in the person of Jesus, believed in the Lord... And it was counted to him as righteousness. What was he doing? He was operating in faith and hope, in the tension of faith in God's word, having not received the fulfillment of that faith, having not received. And so he died having never received. In fact, uh, Hebrews 11, the Faith Hall of Fame, talk about many, many Old Testament believers that did incredible things for the Lord, incredible acts and incred- incredible faith. But it says of them, all of them died having not received the promise. They lived in the space between promises and fulfillment. And Matthew chapter 1 encapsulates really the idea of the entire Old Testament in this thought process. He encapsulates this tension of what these people were looking for. So in your Bibles, in Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 1 and ending in verse 1, let's read together. This is the book of the genealogy 
of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, if you're thinking of a series that kicks off Christmas and a a text of Scripture that would adequately put into frame what we're going to talk about at Christmas, Matthew 1.1 is probably not where you're going to begin. It's probably not where you're going to start. Why? Because it seems like this is just introduction. Now, if you know anything about Matthew 1, you know it's a list of a bunch of names. It's a genealogy. It's a list of a whole bunch of names, of names that I can't pronounce, but you can't either, right? That we just read and we skim over, and -and so-and-so begat this guy who begat this guy who begat this guy. And we just read them, and we think, that's great. What's going on? In order to understand what's happening in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, you have to understand the purpose that the author is trying to fulfill in his writing. All four gospel writers are writing for a completely different purpose and to a completely different audience. Matthew is writing to Jewish believers, Jewish Christians who have put their faith and trust in Jesus, but they've lived in a lifestyle, a a Jewish lifestyle. So he's writing to them, and his purpose is made clear in chapter 1, verse 1. It's made clear. What does he say at the beginning? He says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And so he's writing to prove to them that Jesus is the Christ. I don't know about you. When I was growing up, I just assumed Christ was Jesus' last name. Right? Like there was Mommy and Daddy Christ, there was Joseph and Mary Christ, and then there was little baby Jesus Christ, and they had Christ monogrammed on uh, hickory planks and put in their home, right? Or, Or they monogrammed it on their shirt with little C's, and they were the Christ family. How sweet, it's the Christ family. If you looked them up in the phone book, which those... Do they still exist? I don't know. You look them up in the phone book, you look under Christ, oh, there they are, and let's call Mary and Joseph. I just assumed that. What you understand when you study the word Christ, Christ is the equivalent in the Old Testament, it's the Greek New Testament equivalent of the Messiah, meaning the anointed one. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ was an indicator of who he is. In the first phrase of his book, Matthew makes clear his purpose. I am revealing to you the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now, I know this about good writing because I had good teachers in school that taught me that if I'm writing a paper, I need to state in my introduction the purpose of my paper. I need to clearly state it. And then at the end of my paper, I need to clearly restate what the purpose of my paper was in different words. And then in the middle of my paper, I need to actually make my case that I'm making. I have to actually fulfill my purpose in the body of my paper. This is exactly what Matthew is doing. On the forefront, Jews, Christian believers that are Jewish, let me tell you, Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah, meaning the one anointed by God that you've been looking for all along. This was the anticipation, the the stretch, the tension was at its fever pitch 
right? Because God's promised a Messiah and he hasn't come and he hasn't come. And then we went into exile and he still hasn't come. And then we lost our king and he still didn't come. And now we're under the rule of the Romans and he still hasn't come. And it's pulled as tight as it could possibly be. And then Matthew relieves the tension. And he says, this is the genealogy of the Messiah. You can have confidence and you can have faith. You don't have to hope any longer in a coming Messiah, for he has come. And so we see that first. The second thing that we see, that he, we see that he is the son of David. Now, we, the Old Testament scholars knew that the Messiah would come. They believed in a Messiah. And they believed that he would be of the lineage of David. That he would literally could trace his ancestry back to King David. Well, why do we believe that? Because God made a covenant with David. And so he would be on the throne. That this Messiah would sit on the throne of David because he was the son of David. And so David's line was to be a kingly line. And when we read in Judah, the lineage of David, we read of the kings of Judah, the prom, where the promised Messiah would, pass, would come through. And so if Jesus had not been this, had he not been of the family of Jesus, then it would have completely nullified who he was. And so Matthew is making a case. Not only is he the Messiah, but we know he's the Messiah because he's the son of David, right, first. But he goes on even to that. But the son of David also had ramifications even beyond just being a, by birth, ancestor of David. Because 2 Samuel 7, if you want to write this down in your notes, if you want to uh, look at this later on when you have some time to look at Scripture and seek this for yourself. 2 Samuel 7 doesn't just promise that David's line would come the Messiah and they would be a king, but it says that David's seed would sit on the throne forever. Well, this is where tension begins to be created. Well, who's David's direct seed? Solomon. Guess what happened to Solomon? He died. Guess what happened to David's grandson? He died. Guess what happened to his grandson? They died. Every, with every death, you see these kings, and through that kingdom, there will, be, there will be someone that comes that will be on the throne forever. The problem is these fools keep dying. So how is someone going to sit on the throne forever and they keep dying? The Messiah. But here's the problem. Judah, Israel, had not had a king for almost 600 years. In fact, they were living as a vassal state for Rome. They were living under the direction and leadership of, of Rome. There was no king. So the tension was at its very highest. It was very hard to put confidence and hope in the Messiah because Israel had lost everything. Seemingly. But do you remember Haggai chapter 2? 
few weeks ago when we covered that. We talked about Zerubbabel who was appointed as the governor in Israel. He was the grandson of the last king in Judah. He was of kingly line. He was of, of the line of David. Now, he would never be king, but God chose him in Haggai 2 as a signet. What was he saying? I am signifying that my power and my anointing is still on you. What was he doing? He was saying, listen, you'll never be a physical king. But my kingdom is not of this world. And Zerubbabel, my promise to David, still stands that there, there will be a king who reigns on the throne forever. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, as we just skim over this in our studies, Matthew is claiming that Jesus the Christ is the son of David. He's the seed of David who will reign on the throne forever. You can put hope and you can put confidence in this king. They misinterpreted it. They thought it was going to be a physical kingdom. They thought it was going to be a political, a military kingdom. And Jesus explained over and over and over in his ministry that my kingdom is not of this world. But they missed it. But he doesn't just say that he's the son of David. He also says he's the son of Abraham. Now this term was synonymous for all Jewish-born Believe all Jewish born people, right? If you were an Israelite, you were a son of Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons, right? Goes all the way back, all the way back to God's covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. It's revisited in 15 and comes up over and over again. But God makes a covenant with Abraham. Well, what's the covenant? Genesis 12 gives us the Abrahamic blessing. He promises land, the promised land, right? You will inherit the land of Canaan. He promises him a big old family, right? That I know y'all didn't gather with because y'all were making sure nobody spread COVID, right? Big old family is abundant as sand on the seashore. They're definitely not getting together for Thanksgiving anytime soon. But he said something else. He said, Abraham, through you... Here's the word again. Your seed will all the nations of the world be blessed. Now, to this time, you could argue that Israel has not been a blessing to every nation. In fact, Israel had been quite the problem for many nations. The thorn in the side of many nations. Ask Edom. Ask Moab. Ask some of these places that met their demise through the judgment that God was, was renting through Israel, right? Israel was not a blessing to every nation. But Abraham, to Abraham, he said, through you and your seed will all the nations of the world be blessed. He wasn't just saying that Jesus is born as a descendant of Abraham, which is important because he had to be physically. But he is also the inheritor of this promise. Abraham, through you and your seed will all the nations of the world be blessed. How did that happen? It happened through Jesus. Church, unless you are Jewish born in this room, you are a benefactor from this revelation. You are a benefactor, you, you are a beneficiary of this promise. You are part of all the nations. I am part of all the nations. And through Abraham and his seed was I, was I blessed. It's not good grammar, right? But I was blessed through this promise. 
And so it, it extended beyond Israel to all of the nations. Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ, as the Son of David, is also the one who will make good on the promise that all nations will be blessed through Israel. So they have incredible things to hope in. They have incredible things to see in the New Testament. He's telling them, look, this is the case that I'm making before you. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Hebrews 11, though, ends with the promise that the New Testament church has received something even better than all of these people that lived with hope, that lived with this tension, and finally saw the fulfillment, there's something better for us. Because church, we have confidence in the first coming. But we have hope in a coming that is to come. Jesus won't stay in heaven forever. The Messiah won't stay at the right hand of the Father forever. But there will be a time when he is coming again. The parousia will happen again. He will advent. He will come. And as he comes, it has profound ramifications for the church. So first we saw that hope was in his coming. Number two, we see that hope is in his coming again. We as the church have confidence in the fact that he came to this earth, that he died. And if you're here and you have a relationship with Christ, you have confidence in this. But we hope in something even greater. So the Old Testament saint lived in between the promises and the fulfillment of God. The New Testament saint lives in between fulfillment and fullness. God's fulfilled his promise of sending the Messiah, but he hasn't quite Filled it all up yet, right? I have received salvation, but I don't always act saved. Amen? Christ has changed me from the inside out, but I still struggle with sin, and I live in a world that is stricken with sin. Colossians 1, 27. You can turn there, you can follow along in our... On the screen, Colossians 1.27 says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the, of the glory of this mystery, which is, the mystery is, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory. What's that saying? We haven't reached glory yet, Right? Old country folks with, with, with uh, you know, plenty of, of experience going to old country funerals. We hadn't reached Beulah land, right? We haven't reached this beautiful shore yet. We, are, we haven't been glorified yet. We've been saved. We have confidence in what Christ has done. But we look forward to what Christ will do and what he will accomplish Having been given the Messiah, the church was given the promises, but not the fulfillment. We have been given the Messiah, but we hope not just in the coming of a humble baby, a humble child, a servant, a suffering servant. We don't await his coming again in that form. We await a victor. 
We await someone who has victory in his hand. That when he shows up, listen, the world is in turmoil. And guess what? It ain't going to get better. It's going to get worse. The world will thoroughly make a mess of itself. And there will be strife. There will be rebellion. There will be struggle. There will be pain. There will be death. There will be disease. There will be decay. All of these things will happen. But when we read the end times, when Jesus shows up, It's over. In fact, if we believe and take the the view of the millennium that I prescribe to, as we come after Jesus, as he is the rider on the white horse triumphing in battle, we come behind him, there really ain't nothing for us to do. We show up in our swords, in our armor, but it's pointless. I got all this on for nothing because Jesus has devoured everything by the word of his power. Shoot, I'm done. Right? Complete. Check. He's not coming in humility. He's coming in power. And we get to hope, not in just the little baby Jesus in a manger. We get to hope in the conquering hero of our salvation. Praise God. He hasn't just come, but he is coming again. He is coming to make right everything in this world. We see hope. We talk about the idea of fullness and and fulfillment. We see hope in the fullness of creation. Turn to Romans 8. Romans 8 and follow along with me as, as we read. Romans 8, chapter 19. Romans 8, 19, listen to what it says. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. What's he saying there? Just like I said before, I am saved, but I don't always show it. But one day, one day when Christ has made me truly right, and, de- and not just declared me righteous, but made me righteous, the church takes on a completely different form. And so for creation waits for the revealing of the sons of God, the church, the bride of Christ, to be who they are. And through that, for creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. We live in a broken world that is suffering with the ramifications and the consequences of sin at the very beginning. We live in a fallen world. Guess what? My flesh and body is fallen. It is part of a fallen world. I will fall apart one day. Some of you may already be falling apart, right? Our bodies are broken. Our bodies are constricted by sin. But it's not who we are. We have Christ in us. The hope, the deposit, the guarantee of our salvation. Fulfillment. We haven't reached fullness yet. And so all of creation struggles. We live in a world of disease, of viruses, of sickness, of heartache, 
of pain, of depravity. These are realities of creation, but even creation is awaiting the fullness of God to be revealed. He tells us in in Revelation chapter 21 that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And he declares in verse 5, Behold, I'm making all things new. I'm making them new. He's renewing us. So I've been saved, but the end result of that salvation has not come. But we don't just hope in the fullness of creation. We hope, finally, in the fullness of salvation. Romans 8, 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit. What's he talking What's the first fruits of the Spirit? Salvation, right? We've received the Holy Spirit of God. If you have accepted Christ in this room, you have the guarantee of your salvation in the Holy Spirit. It's why you can know that you have salvation. By the way, if you don't know, you need to make sure you do know. Johnny Hunt said, that eternity's too long to be wrong. So you need to make sure that you know that we have a guarantee of our salvation through the first fruits of the Spirit, groaning inwardly as we wait eagerly the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. One day, salvation will come fully to Alan Ostrisky. And though I'm in a fallen state now physically, there will be a day that I receive the fullness of God and the end result of that salvation will come for in this hope in this tension we are saved haven't received it yet but I know that it's coming and can I tell you this this hope within us this angst within us, this anxiety within us. This is a human perspective. I've received salvation. However, I've not received the end result of the full benefit of my salvation yet. So I hope. This is Christ in me, the hope of glory. But can I tell you this, and you need to understand this? Don't think that the salvation hasn't already been won for you. The idea for us that... That victory will come one day and has not occurred yet is simply a human perspective. Because we serve a God that declares the end from the beginning. And so listen to this. This is so good. We don't hope in a Christ who will be victorious one day. We hope in a Christ who is already victorious. He's already won. How do I know? Alan, how do you know? Because he's sovereign. Because he's in control. And I can't explain that. But my goodness, I, be- I believe it. And it is my hope. And I am banking the hope of my soul on it. He's already won. He's already proven it. He's conquered death, hell, and the grave. I just haven't received it yet. The gift has been bought. It's sitting in, our, in a closet. It's waiting on me to open Christmas Day, baby. I'm awaiting the salvation. So until that time, I hope. You may be in here and you may be struggling. Struggling in your marriage. Struggling with children. Struggling to find your place in this church. Struggling with sin in your own life. Whatever 
you may be struggling with, I want you to understand something and understand it good. David Jeremiah said, we as believers don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. We are not victorious because of any effort that we extend on our behalf. We are victorious because there is one that has come that has won the victory for us. And so we don't have to fight. He's already fought and he's already won. We're more than a conqueror. So if there's a reason we're going through what we're going through, there's a reason for it. If our hope is consistent, we can understand that God has a plan for it all and he is fighting our battles for us. The battle is the Lord's. And all he knows is victory. It's all he knows. So we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory as children of God. Why? Because we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. Would you bow your head and close your eyes as we enter in time of invitation? I'll give you the opportunity to respond today to this message of hope that's found through Jesus. Hope isn't scary when you trust what you have hope in. And if you are here in this room and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, let me tell you, the things that you're going through are completely meaningless and without purpose in light of eternity. If you're struggling in this room and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, can I just tell you, you're just struggling. (laughs) That's all it is. It's an end in and of itself. You're just struggling. You are struggling to struggle. You have a relationship with Christ. I'm not promising a life of luxury and ease. What I'm promising is purpose. What I'm promising is a life that is worth it. That a life that transcends what you see in your day-to-day life. Transcends what is in the same way that the reign of the son of David, Jesus Christ, transcended a physical kingdom. Our kingdom is not of this world. And so we can live in hope of that, knowing that we have been assured the victory. Why? Because Christ is victorious. So if you don't have a relationship with Christ, I want you to respond to victory. I want you to to respond to Christ in his invitation today. If you've never accepted Christ, there's never been a time where you've repented of your sins. That you've turned to Christ and you've received him into your life as, and you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior. We've got counselors in this room that would love to talk to you about how you can know that you have a relationship with Jesus. Man, don't just struggle to struggle. Let God move in your life. Give you hope. The hope of glory in this Christmas season. Would you respond in obedience to him? Some of you may need to make other decisions for Christ. Maybe you need to get back where you need to be with Him. Maybe you need to surrender to the Lord. Maybe you need to be baptized. Maybe you need to join our church. Whatever that looks like for you, this is your time. A time of response. Counselors are here, would love to talk to you. Would you respond to Jesus today? God, give us boldness and give us strength. God, to respond in this time of invitation. Lord, we love you and we praise you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. How about you? With nobody looking around, heads and hearts still bowed, would you respond today? 
Would you respond to this invitation, whatever that looks like, whatever that means for you? Would you just stand to your feet, find one of these counselors in the front, let them talk to you about whatever decision that you need to make. Maybe you just need to talk to somebody. Whatever decision you need to make, would you just respond today in this moment? No one looking around. This is a safe place, safe time for you. Would you respond as the Spirit leads in this moment? Would you respond? In light of what Christ has done, in light of the victory he's won for you, would you respond to him? For those of you listening on live stream, I want you to know there's a way for you to respond as well. We have a digital connect card, an online connect card, that if you will text the number 31996 and text the phrase North Connect. So North Connect to 31996. You'll be directed to our online connect card that Will mentioned at the beginning of our service. But it's also a way for you to let us know if you made a decision today. Would you check one of those boxes there at the bottom? Let us know about a decision that you've made for Christ. Send that in so that we can follow up with you this week. And it's one of my greatest joys to be able to follow up with people that have made decisions for Christ. If you're here in this room and for whatever reason you didn't respond today, there's a decision, a business you need to do with the Lord. Just find that connect card, mark that box at the bottom, and we would love to talk to you. We'd love to follow up with you this week. We will follow up with you this week about whatever decision you need to make for the Lord. Father, thank you so much for the victory that you've won for us. Thank you so much for your son and your blood that you've spilled for us. Thank you that you didn't leave us just with assurance of what you've already done. But God, we sit with eager anticipation awaiting what you will do in our lives and in all of humanity and all the world. We hope in you. Not just, just, not just in what you've done, but in your second coming and what you will win for us. And so, Father, we love you. And with all the redeemed of the world, we resonate, Lord, this idea that you would come quickly, Lord Jesus. For our hope is in you. We love you and we praise you. Thank you for your word. Bind it to our hearts. Let us leave forever changed. In your name.